So we talk every so often about whether or not I'm giving Voyager proper credit, and every so often I'll come up with an idea about Voyager, and you'll say, yeah, no, that's, you know, not this, that's not this show. The show isn't going to do that. But part of me is nervous because these episodes imply that season four, at least the ending of it, is building up to something pretty big. I mean, we have a few elements that are in play that the show is keeping in play that seem like they're going to explode in a particularly exciting fashion in soon. Am I giving the show too much credit now? I think that's a really hard question to answer. And I don't know if you are, and I don't know if you're not. I, I think that the show is attempting to do something, and I think it's fairly obvious that the show is attempting to do something. Because we have what could be, you know, we have essentially a three-way war between the Herosians, the Borg, Species 8472, and Voyager, the tiny thing that's caught up in the middle of all of this, and it's doing its damnedest to, you know, hope everybody can be friends, but, you know, maybe that's not realistic in this situation. And... I mean, if that's what they're trying to do with this, I feel pretty cool about it. It's certainly, certainly they've done a lot more with 8472 and the Herosians and the Borg than they did with the Kazon, which is, considering the amount of appearances each has had, says something, you know? Well, yeah, and I and I think you're starting to to see why I said at the beginning of our Voyager coverage that if you don't like Voyager, just wait a season because it becomes a very different show. Yeah. And that that is true, and you, you are seeing that. I think that in some respects, season four is shaping up to be uh, an experiment in the same way that season two was, where they were trying to do a Kazon arc. That that was also the season where they were sort of seeding this idea that Tom Paris was uh, uh, slacking off and, and becoming a problem you know, officer, right? Yeah. And that kind of went somewhere, although I don't know if that story was was ultimately that successful. I, I, Whereas, I could be, well, I'll, I'll say, I remember that he did it and that it was for some undercover thing, but I don't remember what he was undercovering. So that's, you know, I think. He was trying to smoke out the person who was uh, giving information to the case on. Okay. I don't think it was Voyager's shining moment. Uh, it was fine, but it wasn't mm-hmm. the best. But I think that, you know, this is much more successful. This feels – season four in a lot of ways feels like a more necessary show. It feels yeah. like a more urgent show. It feels like a show that has something to say and is going somewhere, which I think is really the first time this show has felt that way. Yeah, no. I certainly just... don't think it's perfect. It's certainly not on the level of Deep Space Nine, for instance. But this is the sort of like sexy action adventure Star Trek. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I think that there's a lot of elements to the fourth season that are coming to a head in Hunters, which is that, you know, Seven of Nine obviously plays a vital role in the next episode, uh, Prey. But we've got this introduction of the Herogen, which was paid off very quickly from Message in a Bottle from last week. We have the Borg. We have Species 8472, as you've said. And and we have this sort of like n- new resurgence in hope that Voyager, if not, is going to get home, that they are in contact with yeah. their loved ones. They are in contact with Starfleet. They are in contact with the Alpha Quadrant, which, you know, is a fundamental change in the show. It's not a huge change to their day to day. But in terms of of their emotional, you know, sort of distance from their yeah. lives, it definitely goes a long way towards making them feel 
you know, more involved with the Alpha Quadrant. They're getting information. They're getting news, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and especially because so much change we know has happened in the Alpha Quadrant. This is a way of telling them the tables have turned, that things are very different, but, you know, they're still remote from that. And there is a feeling of loss isn't quite the word, but helplessness that, you know, I, I am sure every single person on the ship would like to be helping out in the Dominion War and they just can't. You know, and it, it's also very interesting to me that because um, you use the Dominion War as an example, but they don't really ever talk about it. And I, I'm I'm assuming, I mean, I assume that, you know, they, you yeah. know Starfleet Intelligence or Starfleet, uh, you know, Starfleet uh, uh, Command sent a briefing about the Dominion War to Captain Janeway. But yeah, it's not a concern for them in the same way that, say, the Maquis storyline is with Chakotay and Bellana. And I mean, that Maquis story does deal with the Dominion War in its way. I mean, uh, uh, Bellana does know that, you know, the Cardassians got some reinforcements from somebody else. They may, frankly, not know quite the extent of what they're dealing with. You know, they know, Bellana may know, for example, the, the Cardassians have allies themselves with somebody from the Gamma Quadrant, but as far as she knows, the Cardassians are still the big threat. They're just stronger Cardassians, when we know from having watched DS9 that the Cardassians are pawns in a much larger scheme. Which I think is strange. I mean, I'm not sure you're quite getting my point that that this episode doesn't mention the fact that the Federation is at a hot war with the Dominion. Yeah, and I I wonder how much of—it's true. I wonder how much of that is— you know, the Federation command believing, well, Voyager has enough on its plate and, you know, we can't really, you know, maybe there are security reasons why they can't tell everything and, you know, things are going to be, I I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it could be seen both ways right now. It could be seen as them having legitimate reasons for not really going into the extent of what's going on, or it could just be seen as the show is more concerned with the personal and family relationships and adding in the Dominion would be muddying the water so much. I, I think I think that's more... I, I think that's a better read on it. I, I don't really know if they even thought about whether or not Starfleet Command would tell Janeway about the Dominion War or send her a briefing yeah. about it. I assume I, I assume that they would because she I mean, I don't know that she needs to know, but it's probably important that she knows that. Or at least if they if they have yeah. any hope of getting home that they are aware of what's going on so they don't get back and hail a Dominion yeah. ship. And and, um, and at the very least, listen, we're going to do everything we can to get you back home. Just understand here's why our attention is a bit diverted right now, kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and but I also think the other part of it is is just that I don't think that Voyager a, the television yeah. show really wants to deal with the Dominion War. You know, Deep Space 9 is doing that. That's that show's bag. And what are they really going to say about the Dominion War that's interesting? Like is yeah. you know, the the best they could do is like Janeway and Tuvok having a conversation like, "Gee, it's a shame we're not there to help fight the Dominion." Like that's not very interesting. Yeah, if only we were on Deep Space Nine, which you can watch on whatever day at whatever time, we would be able to help that. Wink, wink to the audience. Like, I don't know. It, uh, part of me thinks that this is an opportunity to get the audience watching DS9, but I don't think the shows are interested in cross-promoting each other in quite that way. Uh Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know that I agree with that. I just think that that by dint of the fact that Voyager's in the Alpha Quadrant, or by dint of the fact that Voyager's yeah. in the Delta Quadrant, they they can't do that. But they were certainly interested in doing that in the pilot, for example. Yeah. 
Now, now, now I'm imagining a scene where Harry Kim is talking to, say, Paris and saying, gee, remember that Ferengi that tried to cheat me? I wonder if he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I, and I mean, I know we have, for example, Louis Zimmerman appears on DS9. There are some uh, connections that away. So I don't know. I guess maybe they maybe they figure that at this point of DS9's run, any any Voyager fans who are going to watch it are going to watch it are, are watching it already. I, I think that might be as simple as that. That is true. And I mean, at this point, certainly DS9 was in its sixth season. So yeah. everyone was going to watch it that was going to watch it. Yeah, we don't have streaming to watch what was going on beforehand and pick it up earlier. And we won't have streaming soon because net neutrality is gone. Yay! Everyone go back to discs. Um, so aside, leaving that aside... This is a this is a weird week because it's not a two parter. It's not even set up as a two parter. The you know hunters ends and that's it. And you think okay, well maybe they'll revisit the Herogen later. Maybe they won't. And of course they do in the next episode. We could even take message in a bottle as a an episode one of a three part arc or a prologue to it if we want. Well, that is what is so interesting about it to me, and 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 why I think that you know the fourth season of Voyager maybe doesn't get as much credit as it deserves is that. You know, they're they're putting their foot in the pool of arc-based storytelling. And I think that it's really interesting that they are doing it this yeah. way. You know, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense for it to be a story about them finding, finally getting contact with the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, and that coming at a price. And I think it's done very well. I would say it's a very successful attempt at storytelling. I... I, I, I for all of its not referencing DS9, I get the sense almost that it feels like, well, DS9 has done all... Because this is at the point when, for example, retaking DS9, that arc has happened already. You can see them feeling kind of challenged by it and wanting to at least try some of that. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and you know, it, it, it works really well. I mean, this is not something that Voyager normally does, but... I like it. Yeah. I, I wish they would have done more of this. And because you don't need to have, I mean, one of our issues with, with Star Trek Discovery and, you know, everyone who listens to this podcast is aware of the fact that, that we are not uh, continuing to cover Star Trek Discovery live uh, because if we did, we would not be on this episode of Voyager yet. Um you know, part of my part of my problem with Star Trek Discovery is that it is leaning too heavily into the arc-based serialized yeah. version of storytelling that I think is becoming um more and more untenable and and less and less interesting. And you know, we're recording this after the uh first episode of the the second half of Star Trek Discovery aired and I really did not like the episode. I think that it was it was an interesting episode. It was well constructed, but what I am finding Star Trek Discovery to be is a show that is taking the Game of Thrones approach of 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 shock value and and cheap drama over over uh over a real attempt at building characters and getting into a lot of really meaty emotional uh weight yeah. and resonance. Yeah. And uh Star Trek Voyager by contrast is also a show that I think it doesn't privilege cheap drama and doesn't privilege uh, shock value, but it does privilege a good story over emotional, uh, you know, like character building. And I don't think that the Voyager, I think the Voyager characters are fine. I think that if you stack the Voyager characters up against the TNG characters, for instance, um, 
you know, yeah, they're they're a little bit weaker, like as an average than the TNG characters, but I don't think they're that much weaker than the TNG characters, honestly. I think a lot I mean, if you look at Jordy on paper and you look at Harry Kim on paper, how are they different? Well, one is played by LeVar Burton, the other is played by Garrett Wang, so And that is my point. Oh uh, yeah, no. Um and I mean like he- like we 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 think that Jordy is a much stronger character than he is because he's played by a really fucking great actor. Yeah, I, I I think that's fair to say. But I think leaving that aside, you know, talking about the way this episode approaches it, about doing kind of a, I wouldn't call it a slow burn with the Hirogen because they're they're on the fast track to being a real problem. Yeah. Um, as we'll see in, in the next episode. But I, I think you're right that this episode is taking the the real possibility, dangling the possibility of, of getting this information out of the Alpha Quadrant, about getting information from home, about a lot of really, really, um, I guess, really sad moments in this episode where nobody really gets the news they want except for Harry Kim. Uh, and I also think it's interesting that he's very excited to hear from his uh, parents and does not expect a letter from Libby at all. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> it, it may actually be possible that Libby is not real. He, she, he, he's his Canadian girlfriend. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I, the show. I, I, I feel like the show has forgotten that he has a fiance, not just a girlfriend. But yeah, uh, and he doesn't seem to care. But uh, I mean, this is both a way of changing the situation you know now we have con now we have communications with the alpha quadrant you know now things are going to be changed while also i mean there isn't an amount of reset button at the end right the communication network gets shut down and destroyed and all of that and they will not have communications with the alpha quadrant the alpha quadrant will realize this immediately and yet uh it's a reset button that acknowledges the loss of what happened in a way, and it, which I like. Um, I, I obviously don't like reset buttons when, you know, for example, on the uh, the episode with the time ray or whatever. What was that one called recently? Year of Hell. Yes, Year of Hell. Uh, for example, that that happened and then it was all undone. Uh, this undoes the transportation network and everybody knows the loss of what, because if that had still been up, there would be regular contact, we assume, with the Alpha Quadrant, particularly as we go forward. Now we have to find yet another way of contacting the Alpha Quadrant. It sets up yet another problem. Yeah, but I think that, I don't consider this an example of the reset button. I mean, I certainly can see that argument, but at the same time, this is an attempt to reestablish some, some, I guess, ground rules for how Voyager is going to think about the Alpha Quadrant and dangling the hope of getting regular contact out and at the same time making it have a very high cost. You know, yeah. it, it, the people in the Alpha Quadrant, as this episode demonstrates, Mark, um, other people, I'm assuming, uh, we're, we're moving on with their lives and have moved on with their lives. You know, Voyager was declared lost. Everyone thought they were dead. And now they come back from the dead like three and a half years later. That is going to have an impact on all of their loved ones. And the episode does not shy away from the, the very real ambivalence, I think, that everybody has in getting this information because mm. it is it is clear to them that I think what this episode is making clear is that no one has ever really thought about the 
the the changes that would occur in their absence. You know, getting yeah. home has always been such a driving force for Janeway and and therefore for the rest of the Voyager crew that they ne- they haven't really thought about the fact that they're not going to be returning to the same place. They're not going to be returning to the Alpha Quadrant when they left. They're going to be returning to the Alpha Quadrant whenever they get back and people will have mm-hmm. moved on loves loved ones will have died you know the federation will be irrevocably changed because of the dominion war uh you know balana and chakotay's friends have all been murdered uh by the dominion which you know we have to deal with and it it, it but i like it because it is about something it is about these characters emotional journey and at the end of the day having the herogen uh, cause Voyager to destroy the communications array doesn't feel like a reset button yeah. to me. It, it 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 feels like a very real, a very real price that Voyager is having to pay that, for getting this information and getting this emotional resonance. Yeah, that's a very fair point of it. Um, yeah, and a sadness again that they can't do diplomacy with the Herogens. You know, it's always a. It's always sad on a Star Trek show when diplomacy fails, right? And particularly when the cost of that diplomacy failing is as high as it is in this episode. Uh, Not only have they lost the contact with the Alpha Quadrant, they've really pissed off the Herogens. Yeah, yeah, they've really pissed them off. (laughs) And it it doesn't seem like, is this price, is the price they're paying, is that worth it? You know, I don't know. And I don't know that they know what the answer to that is either. Yeah. Like, there's this there's this dangling, uh, you know, plot thread out there of the encrypted Starfleet yeah. command message, right? And, I mean, I would, I would argue that if they were just getting letters from home, I don't think this would have been worth it. But because there is this, you know, weird unresolved subplot, which is unresolved for a reason, obviously, yeah. uh, because they're not going to forget that that's out there. Uh, is that that is what is really the the black box at this point. Yeah, and, you know, of course there is the implication that they've only got about three-quarters of the message as it is. You know, there's some maps and such mentioned. They'll probably try to follow the course as best as they can and hope that they hope that the Federation will figure out a way of getting in touch with them halfway through. Well, we'll, we'll obviously talk about the Herogen a lot more when we move on to, to the next episode, Prey, but... I think there's a couple of, of outstanding things here that I that I want to deal with, um, and I'll give you a choice about which one you want to talk about. <gasps> uh, I know it's it's a multiple choice uh, test, so we can talk about the Maquis, we can talk about uh, Tom Paris, or we can talk about Janeway. Well, let's start with, and we could probably talk about Tuvok for a couple minutes too. But um, let's start with. Oh yeah, true. I guess let's start with the Maquis because I think what strikes me the most about this, and again, this comes from knowing where DS Nine ends up. But you know, Balana's anger at the end, and you know, she's swearing that somebody's going to pay for this, and we all know that at the end of DS Nine, the Cardassians are going to be at a point where paying for it is irrelevant, right? Like. There is no there there is really no Cardassia for her to visit her revenge on by the time she gets there. Um I, I think that's what struck me a lot about this. Not that they knew where DS9 was going with it, of course, but Yeah, I think that's right, and I also think that really speaks to to what this episode was was trying to do in a sense, because you know, Balana still hasn't, I think, learned the lessons that some of the other crew, including Janeway, have learned that 
life is still going on. People are moving on. People are dying. And you get this information out of context three and a half years later. Even though you're having an emotional reaction to it now, it still happened in the past. And you can do nothing about it. And when they do get back to the Alpha Quadrant, as you say, there is no real expectation that Bellana is going to be able to do anything about it even leaving it even leaving the fact aside that of course she isn't going to be able to do anything about it because Cardassio for all intents and purposes will yeah. be destroyed in another in another year and a half yeah and you know there is an implication that frankly the only reason that Bellana and Chakotay and the other Marquis crew members that are on Voyager are alive is because they are in the Delta Quadrant where you know Cardassia can't get at them I think that's true as well I mean that that certainly wasn't stated in the episode but I think that's part of Bolana's anger too that Survivor and Chakotay, guilt. yeah and also Chakotay's you know very quiet sort of acceptance of the news as well I mean their reactions to the news I think make a lot of sense yeah I mean especially considering that you know, let, let's talk about their reactions to just hearing the news. Chakotay's the one who's saying, you know, gee, we may, you know, people have moved on. They may find it weird to hear from Voyager. And Bellana's saying, well, who cares about the letters? I'm not going to get a letter. I don't know anyone who's going to give me a letter. I have no family. Um, You know, they, they – neither of them are looking forward to what's coming. You know, it's not – they're either not looking forward to it, Chakotay thinks it might even be a burden to the people in the Alpha Quadrant, and Bolana doesn't really give a fuck. And, you know, the fact that this comes at, comes to her from out of nowhere is part of what shocks her, I think, so much. I think so, too, because she didn't really think she was going to hear from them, yeah. I think, to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really sad, and I think it also speaks to the fact that, like, you know, I know— this is a point that we go back to sometimes, but I don't know. I I have come to appreciate the way Voyager has handled the Maquis because, yeah. you know, in a certain sense, it doesn't really matter that there are Maquis on the ship. They're not really Maquis anymore. Yeah. The, the, the gap in, in you know, the, the distance that they are from this conflict is, is almost unreal at this point, that their lives don't feel real. And in a certain sense, this episode is is again letting everyone on Voyager know that their lives are not in the Alpha Quadrant. They're on Voyager. Yeah, and I mean, she doesn't seem to care about the loss of the Maquis for the loss of their cause, really. It's not like, you know, she, you know she's upset for the loss of the lives and the friends. You know, that, yeah. is, that is something yeah. real. The ideological conflict, again, has been so far away that it's been irrelevant to all of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so let's talk about um, Tuvok then, because, well, I, I think Tuvok and Janeway is an interesting comparison here, because, you know, Tuvok is a grandfather. That's exciting. He, you know, doesn't seem to have much of a reaction to it. But, of course, we know he, he is happy for him or whatever. Yeah. Um, He's not having a reaction publicly, publicly ca- counting as Neelix, but... You know, we know yeah. we know that the second that Neelix leaves, he's reading the letter a dozen times. Right, right. And, you know, on the other hand, it is contrasted with, with Janeway getting the Dear John letter, which yeah. I think is a nice touch. Yeah, poor Mar- uh, and, and here is where Chakotay's, you know, saying that, you know, yeah, it might not necessarily be welcome. Because, yeah, it is true. Mark has moved on with her life. And it's the kind of thing that Janeway doesn't even seem to blame him for, you know? It, it, it's... 
and she has such a wonderful reaction, I think, because she can't get mad at him. It's been four years. She was declared dead. She would, you know, she wants him to be happy. What, is he going to wait indefinitely for her? And frankly, there is no guarantee even now that she's going to get home. So, you know, he should live his life. You know, she doesn't want him pining away for her at the same time. You know, she had a fiance. We finally learned that he was actively her fiance and a dog. Like she had her life, and and, and that frankly makes it even more of a life that she had. You know, she left because of her adventures on Voyager. Something, yeah. You know, it's even more that it's ripped from her, and it's doubly ripped from her now. Yeah, yeah, and I think it really speaks to. I mean, that that final scene where where Janeway and Chakotay are talking about relationships and how Janeway is like, you know, I've really had no, ex- I have no excuse now for not pursuing something because, you know, and I think that's an interesting moment because a, it's it's sort of like more, more fuel for the the Janeway Chakotay shippers, um, of which I am not one. Oh, I think they'd be cute together, but. uh I think Chakotay's actions in that episode at the end of the, what is it, the end of the second season was was a bit weird, but, you know, whatever. Hey. Uh, this is Star Trek. They don't do romance well. But I I like the subtext of that scene, and I'm not speaking about the, the Chakotay Janeway subtext here. I'm talking about the, the subtext of that Janeway is not making excuses for not being in a relationship because she's the captain right this is always the thing in star trek and this kind of even yeah. goes back to um you know an episode like uh what was that episode called with picard and he was dating the person in astrometrics i think yeah i remember I the name of it don't remember what it was called but yeah where he comes to the conclusion that he can't do this it's too difficult to be in a position where he would have to order a loved one to her her death Right. But that Janeway is not thinking that way. That Janeway is not thinking that as a Starfleet captain, she is not allowed to pursue a relationship with someone under her command. Because that is a very small distancing she's having, I think, emotionally from where she would be if she was still in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah, because, I don't know, in a way, because of her situation, she... And this is something Voyager, whether it's sold this that well or not, you know, it's just as difficult to order Harry Kim to his death. It's just as difficult to order Tuvok to his death. You know, it's it doesn't, you know, even if she's not in a romantic relationship with him, with them, this is still one of the hardest things she has to do. And it's equally hard and she equally has to do it. And it's just her job to do. And... Oh, I don't agree with that at all. I don't know. Um, I, 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 you think you don't think it would be harder to order your husband to his death? I guess. I guess it would be. No, you're you're right. That is fair. But what I guess I'm saying is that I don't know. She has to kind. Of, I, I, I'm about to say she has to suck it up and order Chakotay to his death, even though she loves him. <laughs> That's not quite what I'm saying. Um. That choice, in some ways, is not inevitable either. Uh, to be fair, well, I I think that it, it the choice is not inevitable, but or the, the the ordering is not inevitable, but but it's also kind of irrelevant at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, let's face it; it's not like someone you know, it's not like she, someone else can get a transfer to another ship if they're getting too close to to you know, each other. It's not like she can avoid the problem well, as Picard kind of avoids the problem in that episode. 
Yeah, but I think it's a very it's a very subtle because she has always allowed her crew to form relationships, and I think that Janeway has always put herself um, a little bit apart from her crew, kind of by necessity yeah. because she is the captain, and also kind of because she had this emotional safety valve and also this you know very real safety valve um, of Mark. And okay, I'm engaged, or I have a you know a boyfriend or whatever, and I have a life back there, and I can't allow myself to do this. Even as she was relaxing the rules for the rest of her crew, she did not allow herself Mm. to also enjoy the relaxation of those rules. And now I think she is admitting that there is no reason why she also can't relax those rules because this is still a Starfleet ship. They are still following Starfleet protocols, but at least in terms of interpersonal relationships, they really can't. It's not realistic. Yeah, and let's also, you know... I, I think it's not incidental that Harry Kim forgets about his fiance and has attempted to have relationships with people before. I mean, it, it, it's, you know, while certainly we can assume that Janeway and Mark's relationship was an actual relationship as opposed to Harry and Libby, um, he's recognized the situation is different. Cross that to Tuvok, who, you know, has avoided romantic relationships because he is married. And in fact, you know, the, his letter in a way, is reaffirming his life situation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And and the last person that, that I think I want to talk about in terms of getting a letter from home is, is Tom Paris, and, and not because I'm interested in the contents of his letter. Uh, I don't really care about him and his daddy issues. I think more I want to talk about it, or, or at least briefly examine it, because of how it demonstrates and how the show uses that small plot line to demonstrate how the Bellana and Tom Paris relationship is progressing. Okay. Because it is progressing and that's yeah. just kind of the show checking in and saying, mm-hmm. yes, these people care about each other. These two people care about each other. And, you know, Tom Paris is taking it out on Bellana. Bellana is taking it out on Tom Paris. And at the end of the day, they're able to get past it. And, you know, whether or not Tom Paris's letter said anything bad or anything good or what it said at all, maybe it just was a recipe for, I don't know, chicken Kiev. Um, that would be really weird what <laughs> like, if his father sent him a recipe in, in case with no you message, no context. In case you have any cooks on the board, please give them this recipe. I think it's delicious. Your father. I don't care how you're doing. <laughs> You know, but, you know, and then also that the fact of the matter is that that Bellana is able to know what to say to Tom Paris to, to make him feel better. And and I think that's really why that that plot line is, is, is important. The two of them are recognizing each other as the person that they can freak out to in a little way, in a little bit way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, both of them in their way are uh, unwilling to show because both Tom, you know, Tom does the mask of the hotshot young pilot a lot. You know, he he doesn't really talk too much about his inner feelings to too many people because he's playing a role, just as Bellana is playing a role, a different role in her way. But you know, she doesn't really like to let people get too close to each other. And you know, again, I didn't quite like them at first, but I am starting to recognize that no, they are suited to each other in that way. Yeah, I think they are, and I, th- I think they're, the show is, is doing a good job at developing their relationship. All right, well, I think we'll move on to Prey, but before we do that, I do want to take an opportunity to remind you all that this podcast is supported by you, the listener. Uh, if you give already, we thank you very much. If you do not give and you're able to, uh, please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. 
We will love you either way. All right, let's talk about Prey, which I think is a less interesting episode than Hunters and also indicative, really, of, I think, a plot line that may or may not be going anywhere. Well, like I said, if this is leading up to a three-way battle between the Herosians, the Borg, and Species 8472, and Voyager caught up in the middle, I like it. If this is truly the last of 8472, and now it's, you know, destroyed or whatever happens to it at the end, um, and I don't quite remember, which is a problem, I guess, but, um, uh... I, I I know. Oh wait, you don't remember? That was like one of the well, I, key moments of the episode. What, 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 what I was saying is, I know Seven of Nine sends him onto the Herosian ship, uh, but I think I I don't remember if they ended up killing the thing or if it's kind of ambiguous what its fate is. I mean, they don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I know where it went, but what happened afterwards. But um, if this is truly the last one, and it's just wounded and just wants to get home, and that's it. Um. And, you know, the rest of the species is not coming back for it, then, you know, I don't know, but... Well, I, I don't necessarily... I mean, I, I, I generally don't... I generally don't care about giving out Voyager spoilers because it doesn't really matter. Um, I kind of will disabuse you a little bit of your theory. Okay. Because uh, that kind of isn't what happens. Uh, but... It's not a bad impulse to think that we're not done with the Herogen yet, and it's also not a bad impulse to think that we're not done with 8472 yet. Okay. Okay. And, and I, I actually think that what the show does with Species 8472 is more interesting than what you're positing. Okay, and I know we're not done with the Borg yet either, so I don't know what uh, role any of that is going to have in any of that, but okay. I'll stay tuned. So aside from that, uh, did you like this episode? Did you think that the Herogen are are better adversaries. I won't say the word villain because villain is a very untrek word. Yeah. Are, are they better adversaries than we've seen before? Um, I can't say I love them. I think they're just taking a few beats out of predator, but, um, <laughs> as a, as another riff on, because they are of a piece with the Borg in eight, four, seven, two, right? They're a species that thinks themselves as better than everything else that, you know views everything else in the galaxy as you know for them in the case of the borg it's something to assimilate in the sense of 8472 it's something to exterminate in the sense of the herosians it's something to hunt and uh they view everything that is not them as beneath them and these are all very good uh adversaries for for starfleet because starfleet is the thing that is always finding value in other life that is interested in just exploring other life to learn about it and to learn from it and to teach it and to you know make friends with um and so it's it's another example of a species that is counter to the federation ethos um yeah i mean i think that that the hero i mean i'm with you that i think the herogen are a little thin I, I yeah. certainly think that they're they're more they're more interesting than the, than the Kazon, for instance. I think they're better they're better drawn than any species we have seen before that has appeared more than once, right? Like aside from the Borg, right? Because that's but I don't count that because that's not a creation of Voyager. But I I do think that they're a little I don't know they're a little broad they're a little they're yeah. a little um they're a little facile. 
but I think they work for Voyager, and I think that they uh, they have some striking imagery. They they look interesting, you know. And I think that they're they're a species that could be developed into something interesting, which I don't know you would necessarily say about say the Kazon. Yeah, that's fair. Um, at the same time, this is, of course, the series that gave us the Vidians and didn't do anything with them, but that was another show in its way. Yeah, I mean, we're we're kind of like on version two or three of Voyager at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I mean, maybe that's part of the reason that it does feel thin because, um, how many of these you know big bad species are we going to have in this series? I mean original series had the Klingons and the Romulans, you know, as much as the original series developed anything. And I think, you know, how many, you know, they were in very few episodes each. Uh, Next Generation had the Borg and it used them very sparingly once it realized the Ferengi and the Romulans didn't work. I, I guess, yeah, maybe they are. Maybe that, maybe they aren't the first series to have a few drafts t- to try and find the real thing. Maybe it really is only DS9 that... You know, once it got the Dominion, it really hit with that, and it hit with the uh, Vorta, and it hit with the Jem'Hadar. Yeah, because, I mean, I think, honestly, that that most of the alien species in Star Trek that are viewed as adversaries or portrayed as adversaries in the various franchises, the the ones that pop the most and the ones that, that work the best are the ones that are not really, I mean... I don't want to say that none of them are interesting in and of themselves in a vacuum because some of them are and some of them aren't, right? Like, I don't think the Borg are that interesting in a vacuum, but a lot of the alien species are either more interesting in context with Starfleet and the Federation mm-hmm. and what it really, you know, what they bring out in our characters. Yeah, again, and what they bring out in the Federation because it, it, it's the case that. In a lot of ways, adversaries in Star Trek are only vehicles to really talk about the real adversary, which is prejudice, you know, whatever. Yeah, Yeah, this is, again, uh, the Federation is partially defined by diplomacy, and you have something that diplomacy is not going to work with, and you put them in situations where diplomacy is the only way to get about it, and you just let an episode happen, which is what happens here, which is what they've done with the Borg so far, which is what, you know, and all of that. And I and I do think that the Hirogen at least have one interesting touch, which is that Chakotay does say that, you know, it's going to be very difficult for, for diplomacy to work with them because they do not view us as equals. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know that that's a trait that has been, you know, really portrayed or called out explicitly in a lot of other alien empires, alien species that Star Trek has given us. I mean, certainly the Borg don't consider them equals, but that's kind of, you know, that that's... But they can—that's obvious. But the Borg does consider them to have value in and of themselves. Again, consider that uh, seven of nine said that the Kazon weren't even worth assimilating. Humanity is very worth assimilating for the Borg. That does right. And if you're and yeah, and if you're not worth assimilating, the Borg will leave you alone. Whereas the Herogen are looking for prey species, which assumedly is every species that's not Herogen. they're they're looking for prey species that that are going to give them interesting hunts. You know, I don't know that they would necessarily hunt a species that that didn't put up a fight. They might hunt them once or twice, but after that, it's probably going to bore them. Yeah. You know, my my problem with the Herogen is that they're kind of a a a little bit of a cartoon, and I think this episode 
doesn't really disabuse me of that notion. I don't know how this species could have gotten. I mean, you know, the thing about the Klingons is always like, well, how could they have gotten space travel? How could they have gotten this? How could they have gotten that? And I've never had that issue because the Klingon, the part of the Klingon empire that we have seen has always been the warriors. And assumingly they have scientists and they have lawyers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we've seen a Klingon yeah. lawyer, for instance, and it was great. And we've seen a Klingon um, scientist and they take a very, you know, warrior view of their, of science or of law or whatever like that. I mean, but again, we've also seen Klingon restaurant tours. Uh, Klingons are m- not so much defined by their warrior culture as they are by their passion culture. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine, you know, who's going to, what is a Herosian scientist going to be like? We're going to hunt down the physics that's going to make the ship work. Like that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. And I think that's part of my issue with it, that like, you know, maybe this Herogen is just a small band of Herogen. I mean, they say they have no home world. I don't even know what that means, frankly. Like that's almost meaningless uh was it destroyed you know they had to come from somewhere so you know we're, we're seeing a very small part of the herogen we've only seen a few of them at this point we've seen the two from last uh you know we've seen the one from message in a bottle we've seen uh you know the two herogen that were in um hunters that kidnapped uh, tuvok and seven of nine you know we didn't even talk about that plot line but there really wasn't anything to talk about and uh, you know then we see the one in this episode and, and he's interesting i mean like he's a very yeah. striking actor and he does a fantastic job of portraying a, a very sort of haughty, dangerous alien who doesn't think that they're even really worth killing. Um, but they're kind of vehicles for the story that this episode really wants to tell, which is a once again an examination of Starfleet and the Federation's belief in diplomacy, belief in the value of, of all life, yeah. no matter what it is or where it comes from. And, you know, this this conflict between Seven of Nine and Janeway that comes to a head. Yeah, after everything that they've experienced with 8472, they still believe that, yes, maybe we can't make diplomacy with the species as a whole, but individual members maybe can still be saved. Exactly, yeah. And and I think that that's, you know, a very Star Trek moment. I think it goes a long way towards, you know, assuaging the problems that, that I had with the portrayal of Species 8472, uh, you know, in its previous appearances, where it was just kind of they kind of took the Borg's party line on it. I'm kind of like, why would they do that? Uh, You know, and this episode says, well, it's a sentient species that can communicate. It just wants to get home. You know, Janeway snaps into action and, and, and really wants to help the, the member of species 8472. They really need names. I don't know why they don't have names. Yeah. Um, Get home. And then of course we get the very, terrible decision by seven of nine to beam the species 8472 individual back to the herogen and that is the catalyst for you know this very intense a couple of really well it's a catalyst for the end scene but there's also that really intense scene where janeway and seven are in the ready room and seven of nine is is basically saying no to her and yeah. I think that's really the meat of this episode. That's really what this episode is interested in. Well, yeah. And, you know, you say terrible decision, but from Seven of Nine's perspective, it does make the most sense. You know, it it is the most uh, logical thing to do. We have a species that, uh, yeah, because this is the first time, I mean, uh, it's even said to uh, Seven that this is the first time she's been flustered or upset or freaking out about anything. Uh because this is a species that has done massive damage to her people. 
Uh, she knows just how dangerous they are, and she is terrified of this. Um, and I don't think she is quite at the point where, she, you know, as I, as I said, maybe they can't, uh, maybe they can't diplomacy with the species as a whole, but they can do it with individual members. I don't think she's quite gotten to that point where she can make that distinction. And all she sees is, well, this is a member of the species that tried to kill everybody. It's going to try and kill us. It's, you know, if, if it's on the ship, it's just biding its time in, in, in order to destroy us. And we don't want to be destroyed. From Janeway's perspective, sure, we came to our agreement with 8472, this is a straggler, on its own, it's not going to, you know, do the same things it can, we believe that it, when it says it just wants to get home, so let's get it home. No, I, I mean, I agree with you, I think all that is 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 right, but... The, the the interesting part for me is not why Seven did it, because I understand why she did yeah. it, and I don't even think necessarily that her reasoning is 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 unsound. You know, you, you can make, a, you know, Star Trek has always been a, a, a franchise and a, and a series that believes that that sort of people can have differences of opinion, but but come out on it, uh, you know, on the other side as, as allies or friends or yeah. come to some sort of understanding. You know, this is very much believe in a good faith attempt at, at that, you know, amongst all, all, all life, no matter where they are, where they come from. But Seven doesn't believe that. And Seven frankly i think finds that kind of puzzling not even objectionable not even worrisome just puzzling and yeah i think she's having this episode demonstrates to me that seven is having a lot of issues with squaring the circle of janeway and everybody else telling her that she is now an individual that they want her to make their you know they want her to make their own her own decisions that she can do all anything she wants to do, et cetera, et cetera. While at the same time being in a command structure, a very strict command structure and having it, it, it really just kind of like does not compute yeah. to her. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think it's also, I mean, it, it, it's because the scene when Janeway's explained to her like, Oh, well, you know, well, it's the right thing to do. It'll feel great. You know, don't worry. You know, she's – I mean, that scene almost reminded me of the scene in Leonardo's workshop where she's telling her to try with the clay, right? Like, she's like, oh, just try it. You'll have fun with it. You know, try and make a nose. Let's uh, Species 8472 get home. And she does kind of expect that Seven will automatically follow her. It will at least humor her. And – that doesn't work, and then she tries to command structure it, and that doesn't work because Seven does not have the Federation command structure training in her either. I mean, it, 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 I, I think what I find striking about it is how shocked, in a way, Janeway is that Seven is not following orders in that way. Well, I, I, I agree with you, but I think it's a little bit more than that, that Janeway, I think, has told Seven that she needs to follow orders, and we have seen a scene like that before. Um, you know, this is not the first time Seven has 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 not uh, followed orders, and it's always been a little bit. I wouldn't say well, I mean, if orders is a bad word, I would say procedures. Right? She mm. will go to engineering and just start working. She will turn off the EPS conduits and not tell anybody. You know, this is something that has been seated in her personality throughout the fourth season ever since she joined the cast. So that's not 
surprising to me. What is surprising is that she is not internalizing the command structure. She is not understanding that when it's 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 on both their sides, right? Like yeah. on Seven's side, it's a failure to internalize the command structure to realize that her personal her personal opinion, her personal thoughts don't matter once the captain gives you an order, unless it's like really like unless the captain orders you to like murder Harry Kim, right? Like that you don't do that. But I think Seven was from that. Well, yeah, she would, <laughs> but. That that is the part of it that I think confuses Seven, yeah. and then the part of it that that Janeway is blindsided by is she has her own biases as well, and it's a sort of a confirmation bias on her part that people follow the captain's orders. It's not a question. Like Seven is this is not something that it rises to the level of an existential threat to the ship, at least in Janeway's mind, and so she doesn't think that Seven would ever do something like that because. Tuvok would never do it. Chakotay would never do it. You know, like no one else would ever do that. And I think the end of the episode is Janeway realizing exactly how she has miscalculated in terms of Seven. Yeah, that for all, you know, in some ways, Seven of Nine is not fully there. That she hasn't quite uh, got into certain points that Janeway and the other members have. But in certain ways, I mean, uh, uh, I as somebody who is not in a military organization, Seven's point at the end, like, you've told me to be an individual, and then I become an individual, and then suddenly that's bad, like, is a very cogent, and that's a, you know, it, it, it's kind of, it makes a lot of sense to me, and so, you know, I, I, in some ways, Janeway has created her own monster in Seven. Right, I, I think so, and, and, but but what is, uh, uh, what, what you know in a lot of ways sevens and you know Jane Ray's relationship to seven of nine has been motherly isn't quite the word but it is she it Janeway does view seven as somebody who needs certain guidance and tutelage and she has taken that as her responsibility to do that she is kind of her teacher in that way and you know now Seven is at the point where she's almost, you know, kind of a teen, it's almost teenage rebellion. Like, mom, you don't know everything. You, you know, you're, you're, you're telling me to do something that goes against everything that makes sense to me. I'm not going to do it. And Janeway feels like, you know, again, it's Jane, Janeway is the captain. It is her role. It is her responsibility. It is her, it is her right to make these decisions. Um, and, Again, I think there is a certainly Janeway says like, listen, you know, fine, go to your quarters. Like we're doing this with or without you. Um, and I think, she- yeah, and and I, well, I think there's two things there. I think number one is that um, no one has done a good job of instructing Seven of Nine as to why the Federation acts and believes the way it does. That that there is some sort of reason for this, and yeah. if it is not immediately obvious, because you know Seven's right, like yeah. it was a threat to have Species Eight Four Seven Two on the ship. It was a for for very not even for the fact that that the individual might have attacked the crew, which I don't think was on her mind. It was more that the Herogen really won yeah. it, and it has shown itself to be dangerous to us. So why not just give it to the Herogen? The Herogen will go away. And 140 of us will live. Um, to Seven's way of thinking, that's perfectly accurate. And what is what is the failure here is that Janeway or no one else has 
told Seven exactly why the Federation holds these ideals in such high regard. Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. It could be a peace offering in the way of, you know, we fucked up your communications thing last week, which you obviously really care about. You know, here's the thing you're hunting. Like, can you, you know, it was a misunderstanding. Like, that, frankly, in its way, that may be a, a an attempt at diplomacy on Seven of Nine's part to give it to them. Uh, I mean, the, yeah, I, yeah. And, you know, this, frankly, of course, the decision at the end is going to piss the Herosians off even more because they shocked our commander, they destroyed our satellite, and then they put a monster on our ship. Like, this is what the Federation has done to us. But, you know, again, Janeway has explained some of this, but a lot of it in terms of, you know, well, just, you know, just trust it. Just do what we say. It'll be good. You'll, you'll, you'll realize it's the right thing to do. And I do think that Seven needs a little more of the cerebral, intellectual, philosophical arguments about that. You know, if... I don't think she has – I think she is somebody who could be swayed by the logic of why that would work. Maybe Tuvok would be somebody who could explain to her effectively why they need to save this this member of 8472. But Janeway is trying to do it from a more emotional, rational point – more emotional point of view. Yeah, and I mean Seven is also not going to react well to that, right? Because you yeah. have to think about the rest of the the crew. And, and and even leaving the Maquis members aside because they did grow up in the Federation, inculcated yeah. with Federation ideals, even if they, you know, some of them did go to Starfleet Academy, some of them did not. Uh, but, you know, assumedly, you know, Seven of Nine is a person who was abducted and assimilated by the Borg at a very young age, that she didn't really have much in the way of a formal education because her parents yeah. were like space hippies and went off and, and did things on spaceships and who knows what kind of schooling she got. And and they also, you know, they do kind of establish that her parents were sort of like iconoclasts or whatever. Yeah. So they, they may not even really um, follow the, the standard Federation line. And in any and case, so, she was seven at that point. So, ooh, seven. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, even if they were going to give her very, you know, advanced science lessons soon, she was probably a little young for the really, diff, you know, the really important lessons. Well, I'm not even talking about science lessons. I'm talking but, about ethics and, and yeah. morality and things like that. And so what you have here is a person who has never gone through the experience of being, um, you know, being socialized as, as a Federation member about – she has not ever internalized the, the you know, important ethics and, and philosophies and uh, mora- morality of the Federation. And then she also um, doesn't know how to interpret what she has never learned through the lens of a command structure in Starfleet Academy. Academy. So it's kind of a wonder that she's actually gotten as far as she has. Yeah. yeah, that's true. And then I think the other thing, too, that's really nice about this episode is that um, it, it has a really small example of this very early on where the, where the doctor yes. is trying to teach her to be nicer to people. And the doctor also, I don't think, does a very good job of explaining to her why she should be nicer to people. The reason you should be nice to people, there's two main reasons. A, it's because you would like to be treated like that. And B, it's because you understand that other people are like sentient sapient life forms that are 
uh, uh, feeling, uh, you know, it's kind of very similar things to what you're feeling. And that if someone tells you that what you did upset them, you should listen to them and you should apologize and you can, you should resolve not to do it again. And, uh, seven doesn't understand that. And I don't think, yeah. the do- I mean, I think the doctor understands that to some degree, but well, because it's still an example that seven is not getting it. I mean, it, the doctor has ego in a way that seven of nine doesn't like the doctor can be in, has always been able to be insulted for, for example. And so can come from that perspective to understand, like you should be nicer to people. I mean, the golden rule doesn't work on seven of nine because she doesn't give a shit whether somebody says please or not. Like it, it, it's, it's in her mind irrelevant. She's not, she's not somebody who, you know, takes saying, all right, do, you know, do this, fix this as, rude you know she she is rude because she doesn't understand be, people being rude to her in a way and so yeah again maybe you know and the closest you can do is explaining and you go well people are weird and they need this and this will make your life a lot easier and that you know that she can sort of get behind and okay it's a weird protocol i don't get but i'm gonna do it because just as i need to eat and you know in order to get nutrients i may not enjoy it for the physical pleasure of eating but i can understand that you know, I need it in order to regenerate properly. I need to understand that even though I don't enjoy the phys- – you know, I, I don't care about the physical uh, emotions of being polite to other people. If it gets – again, if it gets Balana off my back, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Um, That scene, you know, did have a line that jumped out at me. Again, this goes kind of with what we were saying last week about the doctor trying to – help other you know help other holograms and stuff at one point he says you know if i'd had i had to kind of teach myself all of this if i'd had a mentor things would have gone a lot more smoothly and again that's the role that i think the doctor sees himself in certain situations when he sees somebody who has not you know had the same socialization as everybody else who has not had the same advantages um he wants to make their life easier but again this is coming from a position of empathy you know the doctor recognizes i would have liked it if somebody had taken me aside and helped me along this way so i'm gonna help the next guy i think that's a very astute observation and i will leave it there all right well i think we'll call it an episode if you have any thoughts on either hunters or prey please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com you can check out our Patreon. As I said earlier, it is at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Tuning In, which you will find at tuninginshow.com. And we are currently covering the fourth season of The X-Files. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, truckaboutshow is our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review. That is a blast from the past because I haven't said that in a very long time. You can write a negative iTunes review, but keep it to yourself. Okay. Next week, we are going to be talking about the Voyager episodes Retrospect and The Killing Game.